Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So if you can, grab your notes, and uh, we're going to continue on. We are in a series. In fact, we're going to bring a series to a close today, uh, and we're calling the series Easy Street. Say that with me one more time, and uh, we're going to bring the series to a close. And what we've been doing in this series, for those of you who are just joining us, we have been exploring over the last several weeks a little statement that Jesus made in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10 and verse 10, where he says this. I think we'll put it up on the screen there. It says simply this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have life to the full. And what we've been doing in this series over the last several weeks, we've been exploring the deeper meaning of what Jesus actually meant when he said the word full. Now, when you leave here today, uh, you are going to go into a world and go into a culture that has a definition of the word full sort of embedded into it. And one of the things that we've been doing in the series is sort of exploring this and exposing this, this embedded definition of the word full that really defines the word largely around the idea of having more. So it's all about acquisition. So if I can have more things, if I can have more pleasure, if I can have more power, if I can uh, you know, have more money, whatever more is how you would describe it, if we just sort of get in that track, fall in line with that, then that's, that's going to lead us to the easy life. That's really what we're looking for. That's what Easy Street is all about. And we've been bringing up some question around that in the room, and we've been saying simply this, is that actually what Jesus meant when he said this? And so we've been uh, sort of exploring that together. One of the things that we've said certainly is this, that Jesus never promised easy, he promised full. And so we're we're looking at and we're exploring together what full actually uh, means. And so what we've been doing is um, pushing against that because in our culture there is almost this, what I refer to as a mesmerizing gravitational pull that we just all go to this other definition. I have one friend, a pastor of mine, who says it this way. It's like we're the blind leading the blind into every ditch in sight. And so we're kind of challenging that notion. And so over the last three weeks, really my assignment uh, has been that what we would do is we were, we, we've taken a look at some of the things that we trip over on the way to Easy Street. One of the things we looked at is our past. And what, what we've said is simply this, that a lot of us sort of, we get hung up around our past, and there are some things that we're wrestling with, and we just sort of get stuck there. And that's one of the messages we talked about. The other thing, uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we looked at our self-image, and how a lot of times in our culture today, we are measuring our real lives up against somebody else's fictitious life or the best impression of their life. And that often leads to a lot of frustration and and frankly, even a lot of depression. If you were with us last week, uh, what we looked at is that some of us really struggle with, again, this idea of having more, and that the idea behind that is is that if if I just hold on tightly to everything that I have, that's going to make me feel better about my life. 
And what we looked at last week is Jesus, as we begin to grow in a relationship with him, is going to invite us to open our hands and live with this kind of generosity of spirit. And so we've been exploring these ideas. So, so those have been some very specific assignments in the series. Now, now I have a different assignment today. We've been talking about what it's not. And so the assignment that I have today is to actually describe what it is. Only Kathy said this. She said, uh, you know, because we have the serving fair, she said, I want you to preach your message, but I want you to preach it quickly because we want everybody to leave early and go to the serving fair. Okay, so that's, that's my assignment. So if you would all stand for closing prayer, this is as far as we're going to go. But the assignment today really is to talk about what it is. And, and I have a story that I want us to look at. And I was thinking about this a few weeks ago. I don't believe I've ever preached from this text before. And it's a story uh, that happens in the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. And it is, it is what is traditionally referred to as the reinstating of Peter back in uh, to ministry. And so it's a fascinating story. We're going to pick it up. It's John chapter 21. And I want to read the first 15 verses uh, of the story. Here's how John records it. He said, afterward... Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which, which means twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, they were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they, and they said, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them and he said, friends, uh, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped the outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, uh, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come, let's have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, he took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm thankful for your spirit that is here in this space. And God, just again, if we haven't done it already, we just sort of welcome you into this room, and not only even in the room, but we welcome you into our lives. And we thank you that by your Spirit this morning that we can we can read of another story, of an interaction that you're having, that you have had with another human being. But God, from that, we can we can evaluate our own lives and our own relationship with you in this moment. 
God, would you say something to us about our lives and about eternity and the connection of these two things? For this we pray in the name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. Uh, I would tell you, and you probably heard me say this before, um, my favorite disciple is the disciple Peter. And I think that Peter is the most identifiable, the most relatable of uh, all the disciples. And I don't know if, if you read him this way, but when I read him, I often find when he says something in his way that Peter's the kind of guy that speaks before he thinks. Anybody else speak before they think? Have you ever said something, and the minute you said it, you thought, oh, I wish I'd like to. Can I just reel that back in? And you can't do that. Raise your hand. Some of you, I know you should raise both of your hands. And uh, Peter does that. And whenever Peter sometimes just says things, I often sometimes will say to myself, I could have said the same thing. And sometimes when I see Peter do things where, you know, Peter just sort of launches out and he, and he sort of, you know, just engages in something, then he figures out later on, you know, what, what the real thing is maybe he should have done. I just have a connection with that. He's the most identifiable and the mo most relatable disciple to me. And when I notice his life, I, I think this is really an interesting thing. I think Peter struggled in all of the ways that we often struggle in the ways that we've looked at uh, in this series. I was thinking about this because um, one of the things we've, uh, we, we, we talked about at the beginning of our series was our past. And I know there's a story in the Gospels, I think, that John, uh, Luke tells the story that when uh, Andrew, who's Peter's brother, introduces G, uh, Peter to Jesus for the very first time, it was the only other time that Jesus invites Peter to go out and to throw the nets on the other side. Maybe you remember that. I believe it happens in Luke chapter 5. And Peter's been out fishing all night. He hasn't caught anything. And, and then Jesus is, he comes in and Jesus is doing some teaching and he borrows the boats and he pushes off from the shore and he teaches the crowd. And then he invites Peter to go back out into the water to cast the nets onto the other side. And Peter, in one of those customary moments, says, you know, Lord, we haven't caught anything all night, which is code for you do the religious stuff, I'll do, the I'll do the fishing stuff, right? And he says, just, you know, and Jesus says, well, entertain me and throw your nets out onto the other side. He catches more fish he's ever caught before up until this point. And what is the first thing that he says to the Lord? He says, depart from me because I'm sinful. And so in that moment, I think he was connecting with his past. He was identifying with his past. And then I, I think about, you know, we've also talked about image. And I remember the story that after Jesus was betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and the Bible tells us that he was betrayed and he was tried and he was accused and all of this stuff was going on. And in that moment, the disciples all scatter after the upper room. And Peter sort of mixes in with the crowd and he's there by a fire warming his hands and near the fire and somebody recognizes him and they say to him, aren't you a person who was with the Galilean? And in that moment, Peter responds, and he says, no, it wasn't me, it was someone else. And he tries to mask his image. And now in this moment, what I notice that I think is interesting is that now Peter, and we learn in this story that here's Peter, and he's, he's uh, already had you know, three different encounters with Jesus after the resurrection. So he's seen Jesus in his resurrected state, but he hasn't yet been restored back in relationship with him. 
And most of us know what this is like. Most of us know what it's like to experience a relationship and there's a bump along the way somewhere in the relationship and there's a talk that needs to happen and yet before the talk happens, there's this awkwardness. And so here's what Peter does in that moment. He does what I think many of us would do. And Peter goes and he just goes back to what he knows best. He goes back to fish. And what we have is Jesus comes and uh, has this conversation with, G- with Peter and And it's this great moment where Jesus is restoring him back. In fact, some scholars think the reason, if you read the whole story, that that Jesus actually asked him three different times if he loved him. It was one time for each of the moments of betrayal that happened in Peter's life. And it's this powerful moment, and I think we can draw a lot out of it. And, And he asks a question of Peter, and there's... There's a lot of speculation about what Jesus was actually intending and what he was pointing to. And I want to point the question out to you because here's what I believe with all my heart this morning. It's not just a question for Peter. It's not just a historical question. I think it's a question for all of us. And it happens in verse 15 of John chapter 21. I want to show it to you. And he says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these. You ever thought about what he's asking there? There's a lot of controversy about that. Some some scholars think that that Jesus maybe was was pointing to the other disciples. And in that moment, Jesus was saying, you know, Peter, do you do you love me more than the rest of these? In fact, I can go back in my relationship with you and I could show you moments when you were setting yourself apart from everybody else. Everybody would betray you, but Lord, you know, you said, but I wouldn't betray you. All these different kinds of things. Do you love me more than these? But there are some scholars, it's the larger, it's the smaller amount of scholars, think that Jesus was actually pointing at the fish. And he's caught all these fish. And in this wonderful moment, Jesus points to the fish and he says, Simon, do you love me more than that? Do you, do you, do you love me more than what you normally do? Do do you love me more than your ordinary life and all the ways that you sort of build and orient your life? will Will you love me more than that? And here's what I would tell you. I think it's not a question just for Peter. I think it's a question for all of us. And I think what Jesus is really asking in this moment, he's saying this, will you love me first? And will you love me foremost? That's a question for all of us. And, and, and those who study human relationships refer to this, watch this, as the issue, and you may want to write this down, of what's called centricity. Centricity, which means this. No relationship actually does well if one person in the relationship has put the person in a preeminent place and the other person in the relationship loves lesser degrees, maybe third, fourth, or fifth. That never works. I remember when um, I was in seminary, and I had left South Florida and felt called to seminary and uh, went up to Kentucky. Uh, many of you all know last week we, we wished Chad over here on the, on the West Campus. We wished him well, and he's at sem- you know, heading off to seminary, and so we, his folks moved him up 
this week to there. And I can remember when I was there, and, and I remember a friend of mine who was my roommate uh, was the person who introduced me to Beth. And I can remember uh, attending a class. He had already told me about this girl, and he said, you know, you're going to, he said, I, I, she's a friend of mine from Texas. You're going to want to meet her, and, and I, I think you guys could really hit it off. And I can remember telling him almost, you know, I, I, I didn't know her, of course, never met her, and I said, you know, I'm not really interested you know, I said, I'm, I'm here for seminary, and that's what I'm really here for. And then Beth showed up. <laughs> and I had to kind of walk back what I said, right? Many of us know. And, 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 but the interesting thing is, um, you know, as I got to know Beth, I already had a best friend. And many of you know who my best friend is. In fact, I want to show you a picture of him. Here he is. There's uh, Pastor George. You see him in the center there. He's the Puerto Rican in the middle. And uh, we've had him here. He's preached here for me a number of times. And and George was my buddy. We were kind of thick as thieves. We were always together. And I can remember when Beth and I started dating, and, and, and sometimes we would date, and I'd, I'd come home from the date, and I'd go over to George's house, or George would come over to where I was. And as we got more serious, I can, I'll never forget one time I pulled up to the dorm to let Beth out, and we were, we were getting serious. And, and Beth looked at me, and I'll never forget what she said. You know, she said, Dale, there's going to come a moment. She said, it's going to be George or me. And I can remember saying, let me take a couple days and think about it. I'll get, no, that isn't what I said, okay? And so this is the issue of centricity, and I think this is what Jesus is saying to all of us. He's saying this, will you love me first? Will you love me foremost? Will I be number one? C.S. Lewis says it this way. He said, you know, the only thing Jesus can't be, he can't be mildly important. It's true. There's going to come a moment in all of our discipleship journey when Jesus is going to invite us into a conversation and he's going to ask us if we'll love him first and if we'll love him foremost. And then on the basis of the answer of that question, I have found that Jesus will invite us then into a conversation where he will frame our lives, I think most appropriately, around what we would call the fuller life. And here's the deal. The fuller life is an acquisition. The fuller life, actually, the truest measure of a full life is to use it for a purpose that is greater than ourselves. And that's really the essence of what a full life is. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39. Notice what he says. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. When you think about it this way, here's the thing. We all have one life. And so the central question, I think, at the end of the series we want to navigate is simply this. What are you going to do with what you have? A while back, I was reading a book by Lou Smeads. And Lou Smeads, I want to show you a picture of him. He has probably helped the Christian community and maybe the world in general, understand what forgiveness is all about. Many of us have areas in our lives where we're working on either forgiving ourselves or forgiving someone else. And Lou Smead's really dedicated his life to this idea. But he talked about the passage of time 
And I remember this years ago and found uh, this quote, and I want to read it to you. He says this. He said, he said, I bought a brand new date book yesterday. He said, it's the kind I use every year. Spiral bound, black imitation, leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank boxes. Every square is a number to tell me which day of the month I'm at in at the moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. And before I'm through the book, I fill the squares with classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through. And these are the only things I can't afford to forget. He said, I fill the squares too with other things I don't write down, but, I, but are also a part of my life. They fill the squares, thousands of cups of coffee, love making to my wife, praying, I hope, gestures of help to my neighbors. And whatever I do has to fit inside one of those squares on my date box. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are the walls of that time that organize my life. Each box has an invisible visible door that leads to the next square. As if by silent stroke, he says, the door opens and I pull through as if by magnet sucked into the next square in line, where there I will again fill the time frame that seals me, fill it with the busyness just as I did the square before. But then he says this. He says, but as, the, as I get older, the squares get smaller. And he says, one day, he said, I'll walk into a square that has no door, only a mysterious uh, opening that won't be there any longer, now walking into an adjoining square, it's not there. One of the squares will be terminal, only I don't know which square it will be. It's just true. And so Jesus is going to invite us into a conversation about the centrality of our relationship with him. And then on the basis of our discovering, the basis of our answer of that question, he invites us to invest our lives into something that is larger than ourselves. And when I think about this, especially in, uh, you know, in this moment, I, I, I think there is a way that I think he's inviting this conversation I want to share with you. I was wondering about this. How many of y'all remember the first time you got called into something that was bigger than yourself? I think sometimes we, we sort of, we sort of, uh, do this by trial or era. Some of us remember like maybe the first time we're in school and, and the teacher asks us to come up and write something on the board. Or maybe we're out at recess and how many of y'all remember the game, you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, you know, and the first time your name is called and you run across to try to break through the line. I think we all experiment with this. I was trying to think about, okay, when was the first time that I really felt like I was called into action to play in something that was larger than what, than, than my life. And I, I remember being in Little League. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of me in Little League. And uh, that's a stud right there. I just want you to know. And the, the biggest thing in the picture are the ears in the picture, right? We just, I want, I want to say it so you don't have to say it. Okay. And, uh, what's cool about this, when I think about this, the first time I ever played baseball was I played for the Giants. You could tell I'm a real big kid. And uh, here's the thing, the, the outfit, the uniform is actually clean because they never put me into the game to play. And in fact, um, the only thing that was actually dirty was where I would sit because I was on the bench all the time. And uh, I remember this experience, but I remember at the end of a season one year, 
in this in in this season. I don't know whether it was because of my dad or someone else. I remember very specifically the coach coming, standing up in the dugout, and he said, Dale, I'm putting you in. And I, I want to be honest with you guys. I remember when he said that, and inside my heart and in my brain, I was going, but I don't want to go in. <laughs> We're all like that, right? And I can remember going up, and he put me in. He put me up, uh, up to bat, and I can remember watching the ball whiz past me. And then I thought, you know, this is my moment. I'm probably going to never play again. My dad probably won't even take me home if I don't try to do something. I can remember the last pitch this, the pitcher threw. I closed my eyes and swung with all my might. And for some reason, the bat connected with the ball. The ball went over the infield. The runners came home and we won the game. Now, here's the thing. Everybody is yelling, great job. Here's the truth. I didn't know what I did. I didn't know what happened, but I went home in my dad's, you know, Chevy Impala that day, and I felt like I was Willie Stargell on the way home. All of us know what it's like to be called up to do something that's larger than ourselves. And this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Peter. And I want to give you three things to consider. And then my assignment's done, and I'm going to send you out to the tables. Here's what I think Jesus would say to every one of us. He'd say, if we're going to serve a purpose larger than ourselves, we have to start where we are. We start where we are. And I want you to notice in the unique place where where, where Peter is starting, this is traditionally referred to as the reinstatement of Peter. And one of the things that I want you to notice is simply this. If you study Peter's life, he spent most of his life feeling unqualified for what he was being asked to do. And some of us are in this room, or some of us on our East Campus, or some of us are listening right now. You know exactly what it is to feel unqualified. But you know what's even worse in this moment for Peter? It wasn't that he felt unqualified. It's that he felt disqualified. And all of us have have been in places where we felt like there's something in our lives that has gotten in the way of us serving a larger purpose. And what I want you to see is here is this God in human flesh who has put his arm around Peter, who has come to him to invite him back into the game. And so Jesus would say to every one of us, wherever you are right now, he would say, here's the thing, start where you are. And this is why I think this is what's so beautiful about Christian community. One of the vantage points I have as being one of the pastors on our team is to watch people who come in who feel unqualified or disqualified begin to grow and begin to experience the grace of God in their lives and begin to to serve the bigger purposes of God's kingdom. And I see it as a transformational moment in most human experience. There are other things you can do. There are other causes you you can be a part of, but oftentimes it's when we begin to engage in the local church that we begin to see and we begin to explore this greater thing. And so I believe that Jesus is saying to Peter, first of all, start where you are. Secondly, he says this. He says, use what you have. Not only, not, don't just start where you are, but, but use what you have. Use your strengths. And I was reading recently about those who study this kind of thing say that they're that all of us have 
signature strengths. We're all wired different in personality. We all bring a different kind of experience to the table. And many of us have what are referred to as signature strengths, these things that we feel you know, both the presence of God and we feel most fully alive, most fully ourselves. These are our signature strengths. And so I think Jesus is inviting Peter to use what he has, which involves his strengths, but also, you know, his weaknesses. You know, Peter uh, never got over, in so many ways, recognizing the fact that he needed to set his strong personality aside so that Christ could be glorified. Historians tell us that when Peter was crucified for his faith, he asked to be hung on a cross upside down because he had reached the place in his own development as a follower of Jesus that he didn't want in any way to be identified with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He said, he's the one who died that way. I want to die the opposite way. And that's how he's crucified. Jesus would say, start where you are. He would say, use what you have. And then I think he would say this, do what you can. Just start. Just do what you can. You know, um, one of the things that I think so strongly about uh, our fellowship is that we'll often take some time in the summer to prepare us for the fall. And when we think about getting to the fall and everybody's back from vacation and everybody goes, you know, uh, you know, uh, gets back in the swing of things, we begin to organize all of our teams for the great work that God is calling us to uh, in the future. And uh, Paul was speaking about this one time, and Paul said a very interesting thing, and we're going to close with this. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I want you to see what he says. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, there's an, not only an assignment, there's an assignment for you. Now here's the question. Are you fulfilling your divine assignment? Are you stepping in to be a part of the larger thing that's happening around us? This and this alone is the idea of the fuller life to which God is calling us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm thankful that you have intended us to be a part of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, we would have questions in so many ways around uh, why you would choose the church to fulfill your purposes. Many of us have wonders. Many of us have struggles. Many of us have questions. And yet, oh God, you have said in your word that you'd build your church and that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. So Lord, would you remind us from wherever we find ourselves today in moments of feeling unqualified or disqualified and moments where we struggle with our strengths or moments where our weaknesses are glaring, that God, you have a mission for us. You have a purpose for us. And that this is one of the ways we live the full life. 
So give us the courage in this space, Lord, not to be a spectator, but to be on the field, to be in the game, to play for your kingdom. For these are our prayers offered in the strong and mighty name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to turn it back over to the host on our East Campus. And for those of us who are here, would you stand? And would you receive this benediction? And then we would encourage you to take a moment and visit the tables and talk to the team members on the lobby. Let's pray. Now, go in the grace of our living God to experience the fullness of Christ so that knowing Him, you will love Him. And loving Him, you will serve Him till all may know Him. This we pray in the name of Christ. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.